0: Welcome to Peer Innovation, the podcast with Leo Batari and me, Randy Cantrell. Building on our previous shows, The Year of the Peer, and What Anyone Can Do, we turn our attention to helping business leaders build high-performing teams. We'll talk with a diverse group of thought leaders who will share stories and insights that will help you and your teams achieve new heights. If you believe there is strength in numbers and that meeting the challenges of the future can only be achieved if we do it together, then join us for the conversation. Joining us today is Eddie Turner. Eddie is an in-demand expert in leadership development. He's a certified speaking professional and is also one of Marshall Goldsmith's 100 coaches. We welcome Eddie to the show.
1: Eddie Turner, welcome to the show. Fellow uh, C-Suite Network uh, colleague, of course. We've got a whole cast of characters on C-Suite Network that Jerry Hazlett has assembled. But uh, just really excited to have you here on the show. I know we've been um, you know, talking about doing this for a while, and maybe the timing of it actually couldn't be better.
2: Well, Leo, thank you so much for having me. What a pleasure it is to be here with you today.
1: Oh, you bet. You know, it was really interesting. Last week, as our listeners know, we had uh, Tina Martini uh, on the show, a global law firm that talked about leading teams through a pandemic, you know, how they prepared for it, what they learned, and, um, uh, you know, lessons kind of for the future and how they see uh, things going from there. I'd love to get the perspective and lens that you have on it, you know, as a as a coach and w- what you've seen uh, from various CEOs out there and all that. But I'd like to start maybe with paint a, painting a picture for us, you know, back in March or so 2020, and all of a sudden, boom, you know, shelter in place becomes real. So what was that like as far as some of your clients and what you were seeing and maybe the range of things you were seeing, you know, happening in the market at that time? Sure. Well, if I
2: may, Leo, let me start off by saying that if people have not listened to your episode with Tina Martini, they should do that because she's absolutely phenomenal. I have a ton of respect for her and the work that she's doing uh, at uh, the prestigious firm of Kirkland and Ellis. March 2020 took us all for, uh, caught us by surprise and took us all through change. And some of us adjust better uh to change better than others but there's there's a a level of disequilibrium and a level of uncertainty that even the best of us found ourselves uh not sure how to handle uh, when you start to see all of your business dry up when you start to see uh changes to the way we work the way we live uh it, it's, a, it's a cause for pause. And so as a coach, you know, I immediately kicked into uh, what I would tell my clients to do. Number one, how can you find certainty in an uncertain situation? And for me, that meant digging into my social networks, my professional social networks, I should say. Uh, so being a member of, the, of Marshall Goldsmith's 100 Coaches. He started having, uh, we would have uh, monthly meetings, but those monthly meetings became daily meetings. Hmm. And those daily meetings with Marshall and the other top coaches around the world, it literally infused life into each of us. And we we talk about that now as we look back. So I say that the power of coaching starts with coaches getting coached. And because of those meetings with Marshall, because of being around my fellow MG 100 family members in that organization, it gave it was a lifeline for me, and it allowed me to take that to my clients.
1: Well, you know, as you might imagine, I, I love your description of basically it was the power of peers, right? It was all your coaches getting together, sharing what you're seeing out there in the world, and being able to coach and learn from one another. And I was watching CEOs do that with Vistage groups and other peer advisory groups around the world, trying to figure out how do they manage through this. Um, I think people, and Tina and I talked about this, when they first, um, you know, it was first announced people were gonna be working out of the office. Um, the idea maybe was, oh, maybe it'll be a week or two. Yes, <laughs> It's kind of the initial thinking, right? So yes. I, I think it probably became evident to you all very quickly, even more quickly than the rest of us. You've got 100 coaches, some of the top coaches in the world, essentially, getting together, talking about what they're seeing on a daily basis and what the future is going to look like. That had to have been uh, just a a unique window into uh, what was ahead.
2: It was, because uh, Marshall has assembled not just the top coaches, but in there we have CEOs, we have professional athletes, We have a truly diverse set of minds, but basically it's the top people in their categories. Mm. And so the scientists particularly, so like for example, on Fridays, it was about, okay, we've spent the week commiserating, if you will, about what we've lost and how we're adapting and how we need to pivot. But on Fridays, it was about hearing from medical experts. And for us to hear directly from the top thinkers, who were actually involved in some of the, uh, the work that we would have as a final product that we have now, that was powerful and it was insightful and it gave us clarity in a moment where there was a lot of ambiguity. And so you know, even you know, how to get through or what types of, uh, before we had the vaccines, what types of uh, supplements we could take for our families to keep ourselves strong and boost our natural immunities, things we needed to do. So, yes, it gave us it took care of us psychologically, but also quite literally took care of us physically during that time.
1: How was some of that information in your Friday session squaring with what the general public was hearing during a time where everyone was learning as they go, including the medical community, by the way, as you well know?
2: Yeah, I mean, well, I say that Marshall kept us two, three days ahead of what would eventually come out in the public because folks were able to share with us things that obviously they couldn't share in a public forum. And it was aligned with the best of science. Good. You know, so, for example, when people were questioning, well, how do we get this so soon? You know, (laughs) well, we had already been privy to the fact that part of what happened was for the first time in history. All the lawyers and and folks got in the room and said, listen, right now we're gonna deal with legalities later. How can we cut through the red tape that would normally hold us up for a, a, a a normal amount of time and get to just fixing the problem? We'll worry about the money, we'll worry about the legalities later. That had never been done before. So that was partially how we got things executed faster because you cut through the red tape that normally holds the process up. Then of course there's some other scientific components that took place and so uh, we learned about some of those things as they were unfolding and as they were coming through so it, it, it was helpful and you know there's always a debate sometimes about what is fact what is fiction you know and so it, it when you have a set of people who you feel you can trust and you believe in what they're saying and quite frankly everything that was said was being proven true you know, it it really gave us a reason for confidence and, and really guided my own decision making. And again, allowed me to guide the decision making of my family and take it to my colleagues and those who I associate with.
1: Sure. Now, pivoting to the workplace a little bit. How did you find that a lot of the uh, people you were working with and maybe the experience of some of your other um, uh, coaching colleagues as well? What were they seeing out there in terms of, I mean, let's face it, most CEOs never would have chosen this for themselves in terms of now having to manage remote work teams, and yet here they were. And so how was that pivot for them?
2: It was not an easy pivot. You have CEOs who are brilliant at what they do, but you know the CEO clients would say, I've got a business degree, I've got an MBA from Harvard. I do not have a degree in public policy. And so for CEOs, what they found themselves as having to do is to expand. And, and they, when I give my uh, Emerge as a Leader speech, as part of the thing I talk about. You're already a leader, but now you have to lead in a different way. Never did they think about having to, to, to look at the public policy front in that context, right? Uh, never did they think about having to worry about, as you're talking about managing differently from a technological standpoint, as it impacts everything is is work from home. And it made people who said, oh, we can't do it for this reason, that reason, or the other, overnight have to make it work. And in in many ways, that has proven to be a good thing for organizations. And now you see the articles as we go back to the workplace, where people are saying, no, I will not take a job that requires... that requires me to relocate, or I won't go back to a job that won't let me work from home. And then there's an article that just came out Friday. <laughs> I'm laughing with my tie on. It says our tie is now defunct because basically everybody, including some of the top law firms, will say, just, just show up. As long as you're come in, don't, don't worry about the tie and everything anymore. So I, I may be sure I'm, I'm, I'm a relic of the past here, Leo.
1: I don't know about that. I think uh, you you seem pretty well tapped into exactly what's uh, not only where things are, but but where things are headed. And that's, um, you know, precisely why we're so grateful to have you on the show today, too. But, you know, it it is interesting to me. And maybe another thing that um, many CEOs were forced to do, and some kind of sheepishly admitted to me every once in a while, that they were finally beginning meetings with "What, what are you doing, but how are you doing? And really recognizing that there was a real human toll uh, being paid out there. Not only did you have people who were, in many cases, being more productive than ever from home, having to deal with homeschooling kids, worrying about elderly parents, you know, dealing with just all kinds of personal challenges. And I think, you know. Uh, I think a lot of the employees uh, just really showed their CEOs a lot and they showed one another a lot. They were there for one another in a way that, um, and not for everybody in terms of productivity being up. But I, I do think that um, it, it, there were some real great things to reflect on when we think about how people stepped up during this time.
2: That's true. And I think that your point is well made about the CEOs needing to become more empathetic Mm -hmm. And simply asking the question, how are you doing and listening. And for some that was quite a leap that may not have been their (laughs) default uh, way of handling business, but they realized that truly people's lives have been disrupted and it might have been considered unprofessional before for you to have your dog running through the room or your your baby or your kid. And, you know, it's humanized us because now it's acceptable. It's okay. It's happened to some of our favorite newscasters live on the broadcast, right? And we have hilarious clips as a result uh, that we can look back and laugh. But it's just allowed us to say, you know, maybe we're a little too uptight. It's okay. In fact, let's welcome that child into the room. Let's welcome the dog. And now we never would have seen the inside of our fellow colleagues' homes in many cases. But exactly. now we get a chance to, uh, to peer into their world in a literal sense. And so it's called for empathy, compassion, and some of the qualities that coaches like myself and others have been begging for some of our leaders to display. And, and now they really have done that as a result of this uh, tragedy that we've endured as a, as a global.
1: Yeah but th- but there's no question I mean when you think about people's level of patience of understanding of cooperation that drove collaboration that drove you know just a-, a collective um like you said it tapped into our shared humanity uh really in in so many respects um and but now here we are um people are dying to get out you know, travel is is up. It was really interesting. I traveled the day after Memorial Day weekend and I have not seen the airport that full in a very long time. And uh, so and you hear about people going to visit people now that they haven't seen a year, year and a half. I'm actually um, headed out. I've got some um, uh, speaking that I've got to do in um pennsylvania Pennsylvania in Boston but my dad lives in Boston and i haven't seen my dad since October of 2019 you know wow. uh 82 years old and we're gonna get to go play some golf together and enjoy that time and that my wife wonderful. will be following me out there later and and just to be able to do that um you know i think is something that we're all starting to appreciate that a little bit more as well
2: absolutely and i i know that that is going to be so meaningful the first time you're able to hug your dad man.
1: <laughs> oh you bet Um, so here we are now and there's, there's all kinds of ideas that people have about the path forward. We stay remote, we go hybrid, we get everybody back into the office. What, um, I I guess we're probably going to have a pretty mixed bag of a lot of those things, but what do you think are the, the things that are driving those decisions for a lot of CEOs? What's the difference between someone who decides we're going to maybe, pivot this way versus this way when at least come to our near-term future?
2: <laughs> and one word, money. <laughs> okay. Money, right? Yeah, I mean, you, you, you take a, a an organization like this, one I'm thinking of, that has this sprawling campus. I mean, it is one of the best corporate facilities I've ever seen. They invest a lot of money in that. It's going to be hard to say, no, you don't have to come back to this when they've made this type of an investment, right? And so I, I think people have proven that they, they can be productive and in many cases more productive working from home. But for others, it won't necessarily be money. For others, it may be the simple fact that there is something that happens when we have that brush with someone in, uh, in, in, in passing, that aha moment, because you and I just struck up a conversation that wasn't intentional, right? The water cooler conversations. There's, there's really something to be said for when you're out of sight, you're out of mind versus when you are together. And also somehow the company culture seems to be fused by those in-person interactions. And I think in many ways, some of us have found ourselves starving for that. So some people can't wait to get back to the office. Others are are recalculating and saying, no, I prefer the flexibility of being at home. So uh, moms had to exit the workforce earlier than they wanted to in many cases. And Mm -hmm. stay-at-home dads, if you will. Um, So people are getting a chance to really reevaluate their priorities. And some people, you know, there's a debate now about why people are not going back to work. Is it the extra money they were receiving or is there are there some other factors? Some people really got a chance to analyze and say, you know, I never did like my job. Mm-hmm. I want to go do something else right now. So some people decide to go enroll in a, in a new degree program to qualify for a whole new line of work. Some folks who endured as first-line responders in retail realize how poorly they were treated. Some are saying, I just, I just can't do this anymore. Maybe I get an office job. So we have a lot of people reevaluating what's important, what matters, and what future they really want based on what has unfolded.
1: Yeah, um, you know, the coming back to the office thing is interesting to me because I'd like to think that for people who want everyone back at the office and, and maybe for people who want to come back to the office, not everyone's home work situation is ideal by any stretch of the imagination. You know, if someone's at home by themselves with crappy Internet or something like that, they're happy to engage with other people and be back at work. You know, we always had those water cooler conversations, but we tended to look at one another as just colleagues and fellow employees when, when we ironically took people out of the workplace, we got them closer together on a real human level. And now, so how's, now's the question of how do we keep that human connection and have the water cooler conversations? And I think maybe the best of both worlds in that regard.
2: Well, it's gonna be something. And then if you are the person who maybe defined your existence by the, the size of your office, <laughs> The location, <laughs> right? You, you had the top floor, that corner office, and you looked out over uh, all the scenery. Well, living life in Zoom and you were equal to everybody in the same two by two square wasn't too cool. <laughs> it it, it kind of took away some of the psychological, um, you know. This is why I do what I do. And so, for some people, they can't wait to return back to that. Or uh, maybe they'll so- be put additions on their homes and now big, big, big <laughs> offices, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's there's some truth in that. There was an yep. article in the Wall Street Journal about, you know, the part of the sizzle in the real estate now is people realize if I'm going to be stuck in my house, I need a different house. Yeah. And p- people who didn't need home offices before are specifically looking for those extra rooms for that very purpose.
1: Yeah. And also for people who can continue to work remotely and don't have to work in an unbelievably expensive real estate market be able to move and capture some savings there as well even though i know companies of course are making adjustments around that but um you know at the same time um it it does provide you know pretty amazing level of flexibility i i guess uh, it still comes down though to and and you know I, I you I'd love you to comment on this because there was a real interesting article about hybrid uh, models, right? Mm-hmm. And will the people who stay home in effect be second class citizens? And one of the um, the ideas, for example, was that all meetings, if they're going to take place among people at home and in the office, that it's you're not going to stick a whole bunch of people in an office and put the at-home people on a screen. You're actually going to put everybody on Zoom. Yes. So that it just levels the playing field for everyone there. I thought that was an interesting idea. I'd love for you maybe to comment on that. And what are some other things that you're hearing in terms of People trying to come up with some innovative ways to make certain adjustments out there in order to try to, you know, deal with our new reality.
2: Yeah, I think that the reality is we're going to have a hybrid situation forever. That's not going to go away. There are some companies that are insisting that every single person must come back to the office. But then you have others that are doing the opposite. So uh, Microsoft, LinkedIn, and a couple of other notable organizations have said you never have to come back. So there's there's going to be a balancing, and I just think it depends on, uh, like I said, culture. Does the culture suffer? Um, mm. What are the dynamics? I mean, there's some areas. I mean, the, the idea of spending two hours in traffic when I could spend those two hours working, exactly, you know, it's just it's just an untenable situation for some people, and they've realized that now. So it, it'll be interesting to see what people do now in terms of putting everybody on the same playing field. You know, One of the, the things I am most regretful of is that I never finished my book before the pandemic. And in my book, I was uh, revealing some of the, the plays I've used in organizations since the financial crisis of 2008. And that was when I was pioneering before it was the, the common thing that we do today, how to run effective virtual meetings. And one of my rules has always been that every person come in on camera and people in the office will say, well, how come we can't just go get a conference room and be together? And so, for the very reason you said, I wanted to make it fair to those who were at home because if they were there in the same room, then the people at home would feel a certain type of way. Right. Yeah. Right. And so by everybody having the same real estate, the same two by two square, uh, it's an even playing field.
1: Yeah, it seems like the real meetings going on in here and there's people up and screen is, oh, did you have something to say? You know? Yes. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Wow. Well, that's certainly um, you know, it's gonna be an interesting challenge. You know, my um youngest daughter actually just started a, a new position with Rivian. Uh Rivian, of course, being this company that's gonna be making electric um you know, SUVs and trucks. But the reason I br- I bring it up is that she started um, on June 1st with 173 other people starting all on the same day, wow. all getting onboarded remotely. And she said it was an absolute phenomenal experience. And I'd love to, you know, I should have her on the show just to, or so, or somebody from just learning about how to do that. In fact, that that's an interesting thought. Now, maybe I get the person from Rivian to talk about it. how do you onboard people remotely when you've got this new company, you're creating a new culture. I mean, that to me seems like a pretty some pretty heady stuff, some really cool, cool stuff to come out of that, you know, but um, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, with some of the folks that you're. Um, coaching, especially now, they've got their companies that are established, but now all of a sudden they somehow have to onboard people as they are meeting demands. Especially now, with um, you know, hopefully business getting better and changes uh, afoot for some. Um, how is that going? What's what's that challenge for them to bring people into and and you know their culture? It's similar to what I was mentioning earlier. You know, trying to identify
2: what how you pass on that culture in a virtual experience Mm. and so organizations have done their their best to identify best practices among their peers and they're rolling it out so much of what you're talking about your daughter has experienced and it furthers the conversation around well if we're doing this so well why do we need to return to the in-person right so that 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 you're kind of a victim when your own success continues to, to play out. So uh, we will continue to have the, the hybrid model, I think, unfold. And there's going to be some places where you see it's absolutely in person. And then you'll have those other areas where it, there's going to be virtual. The coaching component, in fact, I wrote an article about this not long ago. It is becoming important in organizations because Organizations realize that they need to be able to invest in people in a new way than what they did before. Those who are returning, be it virtual or in person, they are dealing with the challenges that they just didn't have before. The stress. They have spouses working at home or kids working at home. Marriages have been under strain as a result. And so as people are returning to ensure they can perform at their best, organizations are investing in coaching now more than ever. And they're including coaching in many cases as a part of the onboarding experience to your question. Mm. And they're giving a coach, not just to those senior people coming into an organization, but some of them are saying, we're going to give a coach to every single person we onboard. And in other cases, maybe not a coach, but identify a mentor that is specifically going to be beneficial in that role and not just a Mm. general person. Say, hey, you you work with Eddie. And Eddie has no clue how to help (laughs) Right? (laughs) So those programs are helping, and they're making a difference.
1: Nice. No, I mean it's a, it's really good to hear, and I know that um, being intentional about all this stuff. If there were um, probably my I guess, my final question to you about all of this is: what do you think has been the impact on company values? Um, I think particularly, you know, we all know sometimes when things get really tough. Sticking to your values is when it's toughest, you know? I think we also maybe have gone through this storm together here where some new values emerged, where some things came up and we saw, wow, people stepped up in these ways. We wanna make sure that we recognize, award, and reward those values going forward so that we can perpetuate those things as part of our culture in the future. Um, What are you kind of seeing in that regard?
2: Tough times reveal who we are to ourselves and to others. So organizations' values that they've claimed to live by, they had a chance to prove it. And so often organizations will say, our greatest asset is our people. Sure. But during this time, did they take care of their people? You had some CEOs that their first course of action was immediately to reduce headcount, to get rid of people. Then you had CEOs like the CEO of Southwest Airlines that said, we're not going to let go of one single person. I'm going to take a pay cut. Started with himself. He did not accept a salary for one full year. And then he asked the next level of managers to take a 20% pay cut. The next level of managers to take 10%. And he, he, he stuck by that. I believe Delta did the same thing. So those two CEOs, they showed that they really believed it was about the people. Now, think about a person that works for a company that has shown those values at an organizational level and at an individual level, starting at the top. And now, airline, as you talked about, the the traffic's coming back. How do those employees feel? They know who they work for. You bet. And they're going to go the extra mile because he went the extra mile for them. But other companies, they looked at the company and said – That's not who I thought I worked for. And that's why some of those people are leaving the first chance they get.
1: Yeah, there's there's some companies that are going to be in trouble who didn't treat their people particularly well during this period of time, I would imagine. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Well, like I said, you, you got to applaud uh, Southwest Delta and many other CEOs and leaders who step up and modeled the way, um, as our, our Jim Kuzis likes to talk about in, in the leadership challenge. And uh, they were true models. And, and those are the people that show, you know, who they are when when times get tough. And I think many employees did the same. I think many employees stepped up in remarkable ways um, during this time. And, um, you know, I think everyone is grateful to one another. You know, there was one other interesting component on this is I know people were getting sick of Zoom calls and everything else. And I think about the fact, though, that if the pandemic had taken place during the same year as the 2008 financial crisis, there was no Zoom, there was no Slack, there was no Microsoft Teams, none of it. We'd have had our ears bleeding on conference calls, you know. So at a certain level, yes, uh, it wasn't perfect, but I, but I, I remain grateful to this day for all of the tools that we had that kept us connected as best we possibly could. And I think it made a huge difference for so many organizations.
2: Yeah, you're absolutely correct. And it also shows the value of having, uh, in part, being in the right place at the right time. And then also, uh, it's a combination of uh, preparation, meeting hard work and opportunity, right? I mean, Zoom was a product that had been around since 2015, 2014, I believe, is when I started using it. And it was not a well known product, but it saw a, it just, what was a, a 500% increase in usage, and it became the new verb. <laughs>
1: mm, exactly. Oh yeah. Sure I
2: did. mean, yeah. So it it really became a, a, a cultural phenomenon during the pandemic, and it had always been around. Why is it that people didn't go to some of the other platforms? So they were uniquely prepared to take advantage of the moment, and they and they did it well, and they they they've changed the vernacular.
1: Yeah, they sure have. Eddie Turner, thank you so much. This has been an unbelievable pleasure to have you um, on the show. But of course, before you leave, I really do want, um, you know, our listeners to get a sense of where they can learn more about you, more about your work. Um, so share that with
2: us. Leo, thank you for having me again. What a pleasure to be a part of your program and uh, I love what you're doing. I, and I saw some of the other guests you've interviewed doing great work, you and Randy, the, A place you can learn more about me is askeddyturner.com. There you'll get my podcast, the Keep Leading Podcast. Uh, And uh, it's all about leadership development and leadership insights. My book, 140 Simple Messages to Guide Emerging Leaders, and my speaking engagements.
1: Nice. Well, thank you again for being on the show. We loved it, and I hope we can do this again sometime soon. Likewise. Thanks so much. You bet.
0: Thank you for joining us to subscribe to the podcast and learn more about how you can engage peer innovation for your organization. Contact us on the website at peernovation.co Till next week. Remember the power of we begins with you.